0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Huertas, a Basque-influenced restaurant in NYC's East Village. Learn more at huertasnyc.com. That's H-U-E-R-T-A-S-N-Y-C dot com.
1: This week on Meet and 3, I'm about to go on maternity leave. This is Katie Mosman-Wadler, and before I leave you in the incredibly capable hands of Team HRN, we're rounding out Season 5 with a
2: deep
3: dive into the food rules, weird cravings, and overall hype about eating while pregnant.
0: There are a lot of safe foods to eat, and
2: we shouldn't be sort of assuming that just because something is raw that it's dangerous.
1: I just found myself feeling like... There was an alien piloting my body and brain and uh, totally changed the way that I ate. So was it the eggplant? Sure. Why not? I just don't know. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and 3 anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll be back soon with our newest and tiniest producer in tow.
2: Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief, with your hosts, Zara Tangora. And
3: Bobby Comforto. Hey, Bobby Comforto. Hey, Zara T. How are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. Yeah? Um, it was a week where I was producing a lot of food. Ooh, so that us. always makes a good week. What were you making? Well, most of all, the most important thing I made this week is I made bone broth, which Ooh. you taught me how to make. And I had an experience of trying to find bones. Ooh. Which is very interesting. Grave digging. It led, it, led, it, led, it led me to a big supermarket in Hicksville, Long Island, an Asian market, where I was able to find chicken feet, oxtail, all kinds of knuckles. And when I turned the corner, they were butchering a large cow right in front of me. <gasps> wow. So I felt so good about all the ingredients I put in. That's amazing. And I cooked it in my quick pot.
2: In Your instapot. Instapot. And <laughs> That's which, awesome. Which you
3: gave me as a present. I'm a big and fan. And stuck all the bones in. Nice. And put some uh, vinegar. Oh, yeah. To right, get that helps get, the, to get the,
2: the marrow out. Exactly. Or the collagen out. Yeah.
3: And the Instapot took three hours. Oh, my gosh. It was the first time I used it. And it was incredible. When I opened it up finally and put it in the refrigerator, the gel was so thick. Oh, yeah. That's how you got a good one. So that really made an interesting week. That's nice. Yeah, that's amazing. And the whole house still smells like bones.
2: Oh, you know, the quick solution to that is to um, boil some lemons. Oh. But don't boil them so long that they burn and then your house just smells like burnt (laughs) lemons, which happened to our dear friend Nicole. Um, So today on the show, we have a wonderful guest, uh, Laura Silverman, um, an entrepreneur, a mother, a friend that I met. Um, She was a former patron of my restaurant, Brucie. Uh, I've done some work for her, and we've become friends. And she reached out to share her story, and I'm so glad that she did because her episode is so deep and so touching and so vulnerable, and she was such a sweet and caring and lovely person. It was a great talk. How did, how did you feel about it?
3: I found it uh, warm, and she felt like a relative. Yeah. And uh, it felt like I just wanted to hug her and you and you know, feel that connection because it was a, a deeply connected conversation.
2: Yeah, there's great vibes in the studio after yeah. after people leave, after we mm. finish these talks. So please enjoy
1: Laura Silverman.
3: It's
2: really nice to see you, Laura. Thank it's, you so much
3: for joining us. No,
1: oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely.
3: It's an adventure.
1: It, it is. This <laughs> is a new adventure. I've never even been in a podcast Pod before.
2: <laughs> you are in, I'm in the, to the pod. pod. You've entered the pod. Good <laughs> luck leaving. <laughs> um, so thank you for joining us today. Seriously though, it's really awesome. um Laura and I know each other through th- through the biz. I've done some <laughs> some cooking, some parties for you and your company. Yeah, uh, so we've
1: been blessed with your cooking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you. Well, that was that was an amazing, really wonderful event. And, you know, we've kind of touched on connecting about grief throughout the years. I remember distinctly when I did the party for you, I think I kind of started doing something after my dad passed away, which was people were like, how are you? I just started being like, I'm shitty. You know what I mean? Which
1: I actually loved reading your Instagram because so how Zara and I met was through a I met her at a catering party. It was a friend's 40th birthday party. And I pulled her aside because I was blown away by the food, specifically an uni-covered paella (laughs) (laughs) that I woke up wishing the next morning that I'd just eaten more of. (laughs) Um, And then we invited her to come cater our company's opening, showroom opening party. And I, so before we met for that occasion, I just, I guess, was – trolling you on Instagram like oh what is she like and and you were very open about the loss of your dad and it felt so refreshing to read someone who was really putting it out there which is something historically I have not done and it felt kind of liberating and I felt like you were giving people permission to approach you about your loss and I think you know as a, a fellow <laughs> grief survivor it's yeah. people never know what to say and i think i've taken it upon myself to try to make it easier for people you know to kind of break the fall a little bit yeah. and you really opened the door and so i felt very comfortable saying i'm so sorry to hear about your dad yeah
2: <laughs> thank thank you um that's interesting so as a grief survivor you know have you kind of endured people saying the wrong thing a lot and felt like that's how you, you know, want to be the harbinger you know the messenger for appropriateness and how right
1: to- right i don't really think the wrong thing so much i think i've really tried over the years to make it easier for people and for them to not feel like there's something wrong to say yeah. um I don't know. I think sometimes growing up, I grew up in the South, and I think, especially as a girl growing up in the South, you're just kind of raised to make other people feel comfortable all the time. It's sure. like this very hostess like atmosphere that you're creating. And I never wanted people to feel uncomfortable. Um,
3: and that may be cultural and personal. So, in other right, words, it I, may be cultural aspects and personal aspects of right, history. Definitely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, it is a very, you know, common thing amongst women. I I was recently speaking to a man about this who's, you know, pretty kind of quote unquote woke, but, you know, of course, like, <laughs> so he thinks. I'm just talking right. about degrees the, of right. It's yeah. like, why do you apo- why do you always apologize? And I was like, because I'm a woman. <laughs> right. And so it's, we say
1: sorry for right, everything. It was
2: my first word. Right. <laughs> yes. And like managing totally. how other people feel in a room. It's so interesting to hear you say like, and we'll get into your story in a bit, but just having gone through something like you went to and felt and feeling the need to still manage other people through their feeling. Right. You take it on. Right. Like
1: you're responsible for their reaction to your heartbreaking story. (laughs) Exactly.
2: But, you know, it is interesting, Bobby, that you say that, whether it's like a nature-nurture thing, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of folks that I know, men and women and and, um, gender-neutral folks alike, that uh, don't necessarily have that reaction and that feel a lot more comfortable being in their kind of own, you know, person, and they're, you know, like, I have a really, my best friend, really, like, she does not care. And not that she doesn't care about people, but she doesn't manage other people's feelings. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If she disagrees with something, it's not like she's going to not disagree because she doesn't want to embarrass the other person. So I don't know. What
3: do you think? Well, we might, you know, talk about the word codependent, but it's not really the concept of our show. But there's something about being more in somebody else's head and somebody else's thoughts and somebody else's feelings than our own. And that comes from different things. Sometimes, trauma and um, loss can lead us to a place where we, instead of thinking about how we feel, we're worried about how other people feel about us. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that's... That's interesting. Course, yeah.
2: I have another theory too, which is that if the person does leave that uh, exchange uncomfortable, so someone comes up to you in the wake of your horrible loss and then they're uncomfortable because you make them uncomfortable about the dumb thing that they say or the thing that may have really been hurtful, right? then you're also managing not only your own pain, but like also the fact that you've embarrassed someone and knowing that their feelings are hurt. It's like when you leave some, a party and, and right, you know, you're and you like, this is just dumb.
1: worse than when we started. Right, <laughs> That's what we're trying to avoid. Exactly. So <laughs> might as well
2: just make you feel this good. This sucked already. <laughs> sure. Instead of realizing that like, they can, they can handle their own disappointment. Right. You know what I mean? Like, everyone can be responsible for their own place in the world and feelings. But it is a complicated thing. And people often do say things. I like that you didn't say that you said you can't say the wrong thing because so many people who are grieving and so many people that are in, in that process like really do feel like people Focus say the right the wrong and wrong thing. thing. That's absolutely right. Right. And right. It, it's I think just a little
1: simple I'm sorry or I'm here for you goes a really long absolutely. way. Yeah, you yeah. know, or just acknowledge. I think rather, I think if there is a mistake to be made, it's not acknowledging someone. That especially someone that you're close to like a, a friend or even a co-worker they're going through something that's so hard it becomes this mm-hmm. elephant in the room like you have to acknowledge mm-hmm. that right. I mean if they were having heart surgery you would say of to course, them wow like can I do something for you that's a big deal so sure. having your heart it. ripped out it's exactly. <laughs> equally as difficult that's to right. deal with of course. so you have to acknowledge it
3: yeah and there's a lot of different discussions about this part of it is that people are feel it's contagious that sometimes grief is contagious and they feel that somebody else's deep loss and pain, um, their fear that they will have it or they will catch it in a way. Right. So there's a lot of, you know, um, particularly spouses talk about this a lot when they've lost their spouses. I run many, many groups and uh, they talk up. They could write books on all the things that people say that make no sense and that are hurtful. And right, but I think it's a compassionate thing to look at others and say, "Look, everybody does their best." We right. Try our I best. think. Yeah.
1: I think really that is kind of my mantra about a lot of things. Is just everyone, or at least for the most part, everyone's just doing their best, totally. and we're all just trying to mm. get through. Amen. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, totally agree. I had a therapist one time, and I used to have a slightly different way of looking at things. I had more anger, and I would be like. And can you believe this motherfucker did this? And then my therapist was like, you know, you can feel however you want to feel. But, like, we all understand, right, like, and by we all, her and I, that, you know, most people are good. Like, most people right. are trying to be good. Yes. Like, it's so rare that you find someone that's a true piece of shit that right. really wants to hurt your feelings. Right. You know, and, and people, like, it was interesting when you said that people think it's, like, infectious. It's it's weird. When you're grieving, you're kind of other, which is really the goal of the show, in essence, exactly. to, to talk about these stories and to relate them with food, which is kind of disarming because it's not other to be grieving. It's actually, right, exactly. ext- it's the one thing that well, we all share that well, we experience. Well, that's the thing.
1: It's like, I, and I think maybe that's part of it is just people not wanting to acknowledge death and the finiteness that we're all experiencing. Mm-hmm. So we're just trying to avoid acknowledging that. Yeah. But it's, w- it's part of life.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. We I, talk about our death-denying society a lot on the show and that's do. part of it's why very we're here. It's true. I think, yeah.
1: you know, in our, our heavily marketed culture, it's just, be happy all the time avoid anything that makes you feel unhappy Mm -hmm. and it's just not the reality Yeah, and that's okay I mean I think if it were the reality that would be super odd also (laughs) it's a weird
2: balance right it's just this it's this thing that it's this Oz like you, you know what I mean like we know it's there we know death is there we know grief is there but we you know, to actually embrace it is crazy. And it's because it's, it's an unknown, right? I right. think that's why people create religion. Well, and I think,
1: and- right, and until you experience grief yourself, you really in a way just can't understand what that right. really feels like. You can imagine, but I think until you really experience really the physical qualities of grief and, like, those, I mean, you've. I remember my therapist once saying, like, when I first saw her, she's like, "Where are you feeling it in your body?" And I was like, "Um, in my brain?" Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't understand yeah. what she meant. And then when we got yeah. working together more, I'm like, "Oh, yes, I carry it in my shoulders or I feel yeah. it in my chest or it's that lump in my throat or the butterflies in my belly." You know, yeah. it's just it's a real physical experience as well yeah
2: for sure body mind and soul I think that you know going back to what you're saying it's just like imagining grief right it's almost like if you have a a dream all the time about a giant tidal wave and then one day you're actually in the ocean and it hits you and you know maybe it thumps your head really hard maybe your lip gets bloody but like you know most maybe it swallows you and pulls you back into the sea but most of the time you you come up for air yes. and then you're like oh god I'm still like am I bleeding am I okay you're confused and then you get out of the water you get to shore you like cough up the red, let rest of the water out of your lungs you dry off you go home you eat dinner like you know it's a it's a process in the middle of it is terrifying but like the fact is is that like you usually get out Yes. and it doesn't mean you don't ever think about it again of course you always remember that time you almost like got sucked into the ocean you know but it's it's
3: there's a lot of fear and loss yeah. Yeah, yeah and trauma. it is scary. It's yeah. scary
1: to hurt so badly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's terrible. I find myself trying to avoid it. <laughs> you know, I'd never want to feel that badly again. Yeah. And, and I mean, I guess, you know, grief is, it's just such a process and it ebbs and flows. And there's times that you feel like mm-hmm. you've kicked it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like yeah. now it's December and it's the holidays yeah. and... Mm-hmm. Fabi and I were talking about how this is a very electric time and you feel like you're fine and then one day you wake up and you're like, ugh, yeah. this isn't so easy. I know. <laughs> and if
3: you thought there was a timetable, it's not true, right? It's, right. You know, right. We, we learn to live with grief and it's a lifelong experience. It's something we carry for our whole lives. Yes. So, Laura. Yes. Would how would it be for you to tell us more about what happened to you in your life and the loss that you I had? I think it's an important
1: part of mm-hmm. the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, as I mentioned, this isn't something I really talked about that much. I think mm-hmm. because my a tragic situation, if you want to call it that, happened when I was a teenager. So I think I... Maybe that is really kind of at the core of why I tried to make everyone feel more comfortable. Because when you're a teenager, you just want to fit in so badly, and you just, you know, all I wanted to do was just be one of the normal kids. But um, so, when I was 13, both of my parents died, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was telling Zara when she when we were talking about my story and coming on the show. I, in a way, it would have been a lot easier if it was something simple to explain, like a car accident or you know, just just an accident. Um, but I I believe that my parents were murdered. It wasn't. We we lived in a small town, and there was kind of a questionable police investigation um, where it was ruled a murder suicide. But I just always knew in my heart of hearts that that just was not possible. Yeah. Um, and that as a kid is really, I think, a hard thing to deal with because, you know, I'd always, and and continue to idolize my father and never believed that he could have done anything harmful to our family. And I still believe it. Mm -hmm. Um, and as I got older and started asking more questions and, Asking more questions of people in our family and kind of looking at the circumstantial evidence and and the real evidence of what was investigated and left behind is just, there's, it just wasn't possible. And there were certain tests that should have been done, like there were no Mm -hmm. like gun residue tests done or anything Mm -hmm. like that, which Mm -hmm. is crazy because in a situation like that, usually that's just normal. I mean, there were shell casings in our house that just weren't even collected. So that's not, that's not normal investigation um, and anyway, so <laughs> it's a very complicated law it on was many very levels. it was very complicated, and um, I don't want to like get into too much of like the nitty gritty mm-hmm. details mm-hmm. of all of that, but you know as i got older and started really questioning what happened um, there's really only one family member that i i hold responsible and and he has since died but you know i mean i have other family members and he remarried and and so those people are still alive and i'm sure that this would definitely rock a boat yeah. um, i don't want to cause any sort of libel situation <laughs> no, but no. Um, that w- that was a very complicated thing to
3: wrap my head around. Um, so it sounds like intuitively you sensed what had happened and later on in life when you thought about the facts, when you got older you right. started to think about like, the facts and it didn't make sense. Yeah, it it's just definitely
1: one of those trust your gut situations, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. there were family members of mine also who just never believed that mm-hmm. that could be the case and then sometimes I kept asking myself the question, well, is it really just because of course you don't, you don't want to believe that? Um, but I think after a while you you really can be honest with yourself and the people around you. And I, I really realized that no, I've, it, and it felt like this huge relief actually to be like, it's okay, it's okay to call this murder. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, but that's a kind of grief and loss that is just,
3: you really do feel that something has been robbed from you. Exactly. Well, you know, the, the, the actual definition of bereavement is to be robbed. The Greek derivative mm. of bereavement is to and be robbed. And that's what it definitely feels that way. Like, yeah. And
1: I think what struck me too when Zara was talking about this podcast and about grief and you also mentioned PTSD, which mm-hmm. was something that I'd never really thought about very yes. much. And um I mean, when I was I was thirteen, I I luckily um, we went to go live with my aunt and uncle in Texas, and I come from a medical family, and they got me hooked up with an excellent psychiatrist. Oh, who amazing. oh, I was so lucky. I mean, mm-hmm. she was really. I mean, this is a huge mm-hmm. shout out to yeah. the mental health profession. Mm, absolutely. Of I mean, there are certain things you just cannot do alone. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you. I mean, growing up. Uh, And being, remind me, you were 13? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. my little
1: sister was 10. I mean, being
2: also just, I was actually just talking about this with someone the other day being a 13 year old girl. Just sucks anyway. (laughs) Yeah, it's
1: just a really hard time. It's the worst age. (laughs) It is the worst age, no matter
2: what. 100%. I heard somebody say one time, they were talking about and how it's the worst age because you're not a kid. Like, adults don't want to look at you as a kid anymore, so you don't really get away with anything. But then also, they're like, oh, you're kind of just a kid. You're not an adult, so no one really takes you seriously. Right. And so it's. Right. This you're
1: on the cusp. It's this like teetering age. Yeah. And part of you still wants to be a kid, yeah. and part and of there's you. There's so much going yeah. on hormonally. And,
3: oh, and yeah. You know, I wanted to bring up the aspect of um, PTSD and complicated grief, mm-hmm. I think it would be helpful at this point. You know, complicated grief means. That there are a lot of other factors that make it more complicated. The suddenness. Right. Right. The fact that it's violent in nature. Right. The alienation and not being understood. Yes. And feeling so alone. Right. And, and not
1: wanting to share it with your peers Because it's uh, scary yeah, It's a scary yeah. thing to talk yeah. about yes, Absolutely Talk
2: is. about the otherness of it The yeah. most time you don't want to be others When you're a 13 exactly, year old yeah, That's exactly yeah. right You just want right. to be
1: the cool kid Of course Wearing the Swatch watch I, like everyone else I, That's <laughs> right <laughs> Oh my god that's so funny The woman <laughs> who was just
2: in here before Who you met who is also from Mississippi Just to mention you, you grew up in Mississippi <laughs> Yes right? I did Said the same thing talking about Swatches She's like oh <laughs> I guess maybe you it was a craze
3: in the Delta in Mississippi Everyone <laughs>
2: was just teeming with yeah. swatches all over. Um, it was a
3: definite I, status. If of I them. could add, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And it means the mere nature of the word trauma means that it's more than we can handle. That's what it means. Right. So, what happened is that it's more than you can handle. It's more than your mind can handle. It's more than your heart can handle. So you it's tuck more it away. than your chemistry can handle. Yes. Because what happens in a trauma is that we have a chemical thing that takes mm-hmm. place that's also going on at the yeah, same it's a time. It's this fight or flight going right. on inside right. your body. So, you tuck it away. It's actually fight, flight, or freeze. We always forget about the freeze part, yeah, because sometimes it can create complete paralysis. Mm -hmm.
2: Bobby, is what you're saying though about PTSD that the fact that the trauma is so intense that you tuck it, you kind of have to put it away for later, essentially, because you can't deal with it right away.
3: That's pretty much it. Okay. Um, The fact is, is that when you think of a veteran, let's say. Either they avoid it altogether Mm -hmm. or they get flooded completely. So there's this back and forth between fear Mm -hmm. of getting flooded and then avoidance. Right. And so you described that for many years you didn't talk about this much. Tell us more about that. Well,
1: it's interesting because my sister and I were very different. So my sister was 10 at the time, and she definitely was more flight. Like she went totally underground and went about life like nothing had happened. And which was also difficult because right after my parents died, like within the week, we were put on a plane and moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. So it was like new school new, right, new school, new friends. Um, and Kate just really went underground and just was like just on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And I now in hindsight kind of recognize that I went through the stages of grief, like textbook, and I, I went to – my therapist like it was homework and i really did i really i really did want to feel better which actually is an interesting part of grief because that was a big turning point because i didn't initially feel that way because i think one of the saddest parts of grief is realizing in that moment that you realize they are not coming back yeah. and you have to find a way to move yes. forward yes. and it feels like I'm a cancer and I'm a f- fiercely loyal person mm-hmm. and it felt very disloyal to go forward and to enjoy anything without totally. my mom and dad yeah. and so I think kind of that commitment to wanting to
3: feel better was a big step in a way it's a turn towards yourself and in, a f- in reality what you said before is that grief is about accepting the reality of that loss and what happens suddenly it's that much harder. you yes. have some preparation. It's right.
1: Different. It's like just because yeah. you've admitted you have a problem doesn't make it go away. You're still in AA forever. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Like, this is like that. Totally. And it was so the I, the PTSD part of all of this didn't come up. I mean, I really was committed to going to therapy, and then I went. By the time I went off to college, I stopped going to therapy and just really just tried just winging life like a normal person who goes to college and graduates and mm-hmm. moves to New York City and. Yeah. And it all was kind of going pretty much okay. You know, I mean, you have your moments where things were very difficult, but then it didn't really all, like, Zara, your metaphor of an ocean was exactly what I described after my son was born. He's five now. But at the time, I mean, talk about a tidal wave. Like, that's when it really, really all came roaring back of, they will never meet my son. They will never be part of his life. Mm-hmm. I frankly need them. Like, you need course, the help. I have. want That's someone right. to come and yeah. take him for ice cream so I can take a nap. Of course. Know? And it's a
2: comparison <laughs> game, too, right? Of, like, um, you know, I know. Me, to just it's a comparison game of, like, well, you know, look look at all these other people, and all these other people have their parents for That's this right. moment. You know, I, I, right. I feel... Similarly about, you know, if I'm ever to get married, about my
1: dad not
3: right, he's being he's going to miss or, that.
1: Yeah, it's a really... It's a loss.
2: Well, and we grieve
3: like, the past, we grieve the future, and we grieve yes. the present and all those things. Yes. And, um, you know, part of what you're also saying is that, you know, we learn to live with the grief.
0: Mm-hmm. But it
3: comes up all different times. It's not linear. Right. It's not linear course, at all. Absolutely. So you found right. with the birth of your son, which would, would have normally been such a joyous thing, it right. brought up... The losses that you yeah. had had.
1: Well, in PTSD, is like it's a really—I mean, or, or at least this acknowledgement of it was really marking in a way because I've always been someone who I think it's just my personality. It's just I just power through things, and I just feel like no matter how hard something gets, I can just fight my way through it. And after James was born, I I became very aware that I cannot get through this on my own like I felt that paralysis and luckily had the wherewithal to ask for help and Mm -hmm. to ask for a therapist and a psychiatrist. And mm-hmm. I mean, I sat down in the psychiatrist's office and within 15 minutes, she was like, you are severely clinically depressed. You yeah. have PTSD. Yes. You need to be medicated. And I was like, what medication? Mm, yeah. Like, I'm just going to go run another marathon. I can run away from this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah,
2: you can't and she no, like, if
1: you yeah. had a heart condition and I said yeah. to you, you need to take medication to get better. You would do it. Right. Yes. And I was like, of course. Totally. And that really struck me. Totally.
2: Well, I want to ask a little bit about, you know, so delve into the intersection of the yes. of, of the grief and how food played a part. And you had mentioned in your letter when we were talking about this in your email um, about some food memories that you had that you took with, you know, from your parents when you moved to Texas. And how was that? How important was that to you post? Also, you know, as a 13 year old just trying to kind of exist and get along, like, did you completely lose the the joy and love for eating were you unable to I mean like how I did I think that... it
1: was all of those things yeah. like I think sometimes when I would allow myself to be happy or to seek pleasure food has always been such a huge part of our family like so many families and in the south You know, especially growing up in the 80s in the Mississippi Delta, this was not a hotbed of cool restaurants and places (laughs) to go. So people entertained at home, and my grandparents all cooked, and friends' parents cooked, and that's just how people entertained and socialized. And so food was just such a huge part of our culture. And my mom was actually, and both of my grandmothers were excellent cooks. And so it was just kind of a part of our family. Gatherings, But I always thought my mom was extra special because Mm. even though we lived in this kind of not so exciting place, she would kind of seek out exciting Mm. ingredients or recipes. And we had stacks of gourmet magazines and we would watch food shows together. Uh And it just kind of became something that we did together and that she wanted to share with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think after James was born, it became something that I realized... I wanted to share with him and I I think the only thing you, the only way that you know how to parent is kind of do what your parents mm. did and it's like this is what my mom did for me and I want to do for you and it was almost kind of like finishing unfinished business mm.
0: This episode is brought to you by Huertas. Huertas serves Basque influenced fare. Evoking the lively eating and drinking culture of northern Spain and creatively inspired by our home in NYC. Consider Huertas for your next event. Their private room is perfect for work dinners, baby showers, and birthday parties. There's even a small patio attached. Learn more at huertasnyc.com. That's H U E R T A S N Y C.com.
3: So tell us more about your food memories of growing up. What was that? What kind of foods did you have in your family? What kind of celebrations did you have?
1: We definitely had, like, very kind of traditional Southern fare, I would say. Like, my favorite thing that my mom made was her chicken and dumplings, mm. which is very mm. Southern. <laughs> Super delicious. My birthday's at the end of June, and that we she would make us whatever we wanted, and I always wanted chicken and dumplings. <laughs> and she's like, that's such not a summer thing to make. <laughs> but it
3: was Aww. delicious anyway. Can you describe it to us? Tell us about chicken and dumplings. It was like,
1: hers was very stewy. So I know chicken and dumplings sometimes since I've moved up north <laughs> over 20 years ago I'm still kind of I've stopped actually trying to seek out pretty good southern food yeah. but Sometimes you'll you'll find some, but she would, I mean, roll out homemade dumplings like a dough, like yeah. almost like a pie dough, mm. and then cut it into these kind of rectangles and then drop them into this real brothy, Ooh. like you would almost make like a roux yeah. to start it to be really thick with um, carrot, onions and carrots and yeah. these dumplings and then just shredded chicken that... It was, yes, super delicious. Yeah, it's
2: warm. I feel very comforting. Yeah, very comforting. Yes. We were talking recently about congee and um, how that's just like such a warm and lovely, I don't know, oatmeal, like soup and stew. Right,
1: especially this time of year. Yeah, yeah.
3: So, would you find yourself dreaming about chicken and dumplings?
1: You know, I think at first I didn't want anything like that because it was just too sad and plus right. no one was going to make it like my mom. Like so when we moved in with my aunt, like she was tasked with a pretty hard yes. job. She didn't make the things that my mom made and so yeah. she was just set up for failure. You know, yeah, I'm like yeah. you're not my mom. I won't, you know, yeah. and I'm not going to like anything that you make. Yeah. And but it's interesting I think that was kind of part of us making a new family with she and my uncle is that they had their own traditions and their own foods that they made that maybe I didn't like them at first but now I look forward to. (laughs)
3: Like what kind of foods were they?
1: Kind of similar things I guess but like I don't know. Like, you know, just like a big roast beef or consomme mm, right. rice or... Ooh, consomme rice. Yeah. Is that like
2: rice made in beef broth?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Did you tell oh, us you, good. They were in Texas? They were from Texas? Yeah, yeah. in uh-huh. Dallas. Right. And they're all in Houston now. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, doing like a big like spiral ham and yeah. cheese grits for... Ooh, that's That nice. we do that for Christmas or like a big spinach salad. Like that's all yeah. kind of yes. like what they like to make.
3: You know, you brought up something really important before. You said that at first the thought of chicken and dumplings felt so bitter.
1: Just so sad. Yes. And I
3: talk to my clients a lot. My business name is actually Bittersweet Counseling. Mm. And the reason is, is because in the beginning, the memories and the things that are so special feel so bitter. But the hope is that eventually they can become... learn to
1: love them again. Sweet again, exactly. And
3: it sounds like that's what happened for you.
1: So my dad's birthday is December 23rd, so it's coming up this week. And... Actually, it's kind of, we've maintained that being a happy occasion for our our family. So my dad's favorite thing, what's really funny because... He had had a very dry sense of humor, and he would always claim, like, I don't like sweets. I don't eat sweets. He was very athletic. And, like, we would catch him in the kitchen, like, shoveling cake in his face. (laughs) I'm like, you love cake. (laughs) And his favorite thing was his chocolate, chocolate cake. And Mm. my grandmother, his mother-in-law, used to, like, go to great lengths to make him, like, fancy cakes, like German chocolate cake or a chiffon cake. And he's like... Really, I just love a Betty Crocker chocolate oh chocolate cake. <laughs>
3: Me too.
1: It's so it's delicious. So, delicious. <laughs> so every December 23rd we make, you oh. know, a Betty Crocker double chocolate cake That's and really awesome. I mean even now James at 5 will say like it's Papa Jim's birthday. Let's make the chocolate cake, which oh. is so great and it's like a happy yeah. I've chosen to, you know, weave those little food memories Absolutely. in. Absolutely to kind of making them real to him. Yeah.
2: That's really beautiful. And it's interesting. It's kind of, um, a through line that I think a lot of folks that we talk to, uh, have the same kind of feeling. I know that I do that, that Bobby, like you do as well. Um, that sometimes you get there, right. And just go back to the beach metaphor. I think sometimes once you end up walking out of the water and then you get your towel off, like those things can start to happen. Right. But I also want to say in that same breath that if you're listening out there and you're not at that point and your trauma mm-hmm. happened 20 years ago, mm-hmm. that that's also okay. You know, and it doesn't make yes. you, I feel like there's a lot of like judgment and self Yeah, there are no rules to this. There's no yeah. rules to it. If you can, if you never end up being someone who can celebrate the day right. uh, that you're right. uh, it's your just too hard for some one, people. It, that's also okay. However, um, for those who can or have found a way to do it and it feels good for them, you know, being able to reframe, something that can be really painful, if you can, is is great, you know? And right. I mean, I think sometimes we can simplify it by saying, like, oh, you really have a choice of how you want to react to everything. You know, you do and you don't.
1: Oh, my God. Like, that drives me actually yeah.
2: insane. You're lucky when you... You're lucky if you get to the point where you actually can make a choice. You, it doesn't come. Right. It's not given.
1: People know? actually will have said that to me over the years. of Like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how you've done it, how you've gotten through it. And I'm like, wait, there was a choice? Like, yeah. there's there's no out here. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. But, but you, you know,
1: do find outlets, I mean, to kind of weave it back into the food. Like, right. I have a love of cooking. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has been just kind of the tactile, physical I, this is something I can do every day, no matter how hard the day is. Yeah. I can make something delicious. or not, It doesn't have to be anything complicated, but it's truly an expression of love. So for the it people is. that are still here, like my sister and now my own family, mm-hmm. totally. this is how I show them that I care about them. And I learned that from mm. my mom and my grandmothers.
2: That's amazing. Are there recipes, I'm so sorry. Are there recipes of theirs that you like to... Keep making
1: of your mom's and your grandma's? I do. So I mentioned to you that I still have my mom's recipe box. And I love those little handwritten index cards. And I mean, there's, I mean, she kept this box. It was so, now I love that it's just so willy nilly. I mean, recipes scrawled on the back of deposit slips while she was waiting at the bank. (laughs) You know, she probably saw like a Southern Living magazine and was like, I'm going to make this jello salad, you know, (laughs) like whatever it is. Um, But I do – and actually, it's really funny to go back and read some of them because it's so – such a poignant point in time Mm -hmm. because so many of them are recipes that were popular in the 70s and 80s that – We just don't really eat so much now.
3: But But they're in her handwriting, too.
1: Right. And that's what's so special about it. I actually started, I picked it up this morning and started to bring it here with me today so you could see it. But then I just had this, like, paranoid thought of, like, I'm going on that crazy L
3: train. I don't know what's going to happen. Don't bring it out of the house. I
2: totally, I totally understand. Yeah.
3: Maybe you could take a picture of it and send it to us sometime. I I would love to see the recipe I Like her lasagna recipe, which is so,
1: it's so great, you know, He's got a good lasagna recipe. Yeah, yeah. Nothing in there is really groundbreaking, but it's just. But it does take you back to a specific. Or oh, I remember we used to eat that. Yeah, you know, in the fall. All food is
2: groundbreaking if it's special too, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, people will say that to me a lot, especially being a chef. And Bobby, you are a chef, and and you're a great cook. And I'm sure that people probably say that same kind of thing to you. And they'll approach you and they'll make something. And you're like, it, it's it's really nothing special. Right. It's not that good, He's or it's nothing fancy, and it's like. It, of course it's special. You made it. You made like, it. It's I no, totally
1: no, no. agree. Yeah. Actually, my husband and I talk about this all the time because he's a pretty good cook also. And I think that you're good at things. That you enjoy doing things and you're good at doing things that you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And we often enjoy inviting friends over for dinner. And sometimes people don't reciprocate not that I'm expecting that, but I yeah. think because they're paranoid that it's not gonna be as good or look as nice or how have this Martha Stewart moment. Right. 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 And I'm like, I don't care, order pizza. I just exactly. wanna hang out. Of like course. this doesn't have to be Totally a five star experience. Like I loved in your interview with Dana Cowan talking about how sometimes there's just magic in something simple like a pot of meatballs. Like totally. I make meatballs every fall and like yeah. my family's come to it love that and it's like my great aunt Rosa's recipe oh, and awesome. they're delicious but nothing's groundbreaking about a pot of spaghetti and meatballs but it's, it's everyone your, loves it's it
2: it's your <laughs> pot of spaghetti and meatballs right, right? and it's, right. that's really special and it's special if you use a can of prego sauce and it's special <laughs> if you buy the meatballs because it's really You know, it's funny. I used to be pretty snobby about food when I opened my restaurant. And I was a young punk know it all. And I was like, (laughs) this is good. This is not good. This is good. When I've come to know after being in the industry for like 10 years now. Uh, and I firmly believe this as my stance, is that it is. I was so missing the mark then, right? It's special because it's special in here. And I'm pointing to my heart, everyone who's not sitting right. in the studio right now, <laughs> it has nothing to do with how special it is necessarily the way it tastes. I mean, you know, because taste is subjective. It's totally. just totally not, there's no one right answer. But
1: you did make a mean pot of spaghetti and meatballs at Brucey. <laughs> Actually, Thank there you. were a lot of times if I was having a sad day, I would go sit at the bar by oh. myself at Brucey and belly up a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome! That
2: makes me feel really good. But yeah, I just think that you know that's the that's the whole thing, and I I love hearing about the nostalgia. Like for me, and maybe you you don't agree, maybe you do. Like I think the special part in there is the recipe book and your mom's handwriting. Yeah. And the fact oh, that absolutely. That it's your most treasured thing. That you know, or one of them that you wouldn't even want to leave the house. Like I love that you didn't bring it out of the it's house.
1: It's so true that there's so many. It, it's interesting how at first when someone dies, you're holding on to the material possession, you know, these possessions, because it's just all you have left. Yes. And now I have moved so many times since then, yes. so many various apartments. Mm-hmm. And the only things that I've really hung on to have been the recipe book and like my mom's favorite sweater that feels like a hug. You know, oh, and, oh, I, like nice. those are the two things yes. that and of course photos. But yeah. uh, outside of that, like it's those real that's a meaningful and like you said, the handwriting's really
3: special Because really, those yeah. things are internalized in you. Yes. You know, even if you, God forbid, had ever lost the, right. the recipe I would box, still it's it. still inside of you. Yes. Those are things that are deep, deep inside of you. And I was thinking of something before that you said. We were talking about how um, it's hard to change your mood or the way you look at something. But I think the reason why food makes that easier is because it involves other people. So you're yes. not sh- shifting you on your own. You don't have to be alone. You're shifting yeah. with the power of other people. <laughs> yes. That makes a difference. Yes. And the uh, the heart that's involved with food. So Absolutely. it does help us shift often.
2: Yeah, agreed. And, yeah. you know, when you were talking about um, earlier when you went to your aunt's house and I could picture you as a 13-year-old being like, I don't want this. You're not my yeah. mom. This is not how my mom made it. I think pickiness in eating is a lot about control right and I'm assuming when this first happened to you you probably felt really like you had no control right am I correct in saying that just right I mean just
1: you have no say right you have
2: no say and so pickiness or like not wanting to eat or saying I don't want to do this is like your one small like sliver of like control right and then getting older and being like, I'm choosing to nurture my family and like create community and create parties and events and memories and celebrations through food is like also like a method of control, but in a more positive way and one that's more nurturing to you and like better. But I think a lot of times like the choice of what to eat, what not to eat, what to share, how to become a cook, you know, can mm-hmm. often be about controlling your environment. And that's, I don't mean that in a negative way. No, a no, lot of times we say it's, control and yeah, it seems like it's negative. It's very important but actually. Makes,
1: right. Right, I think that's a healthy way of controlling a situation. Yeah. yeah. And kind of choosing what you share with people. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, now I have a huge affection for the state of Texas and especially mexican food. Oh, yeah. I'm going there next week and I can't wait. And huh? I may mean, always leave room in my suitcase to bring back real deal homemade, handmade tortillas. Ooh, and yeah. when I invite friends over, I let them know. I'm like, you're in the inner sanctum. <laughs> if I'm sharing these with you, I don't share these with just anyone. <laughs> the regular folks get mission, but
3: <laughs> you all get the special ones. <laughs> That's amazing. Who would ever think in your suitcase is tortillas? <laughs> right. They weigh a lot.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I remember coming back from Italy one time. The first, I didn't even know you weren't allowed to do this, and my whole entire suitcase was full of like par- legs of parma ham and like wedges. What up. do
1: you mean I can't breathe? Yeah, back they're like, do you have any like, meat objects? I was
2: like, no. <laughs> right now there's a boar, actually, in the in the studio that's right. like giving me a side eye, like a real boar. Um, yeah, well, this is an incredible story. And so how do you find yourself now, like, when you open up the recipe book, when you go to make something, um, do you find yourself in those moments? How, like, often, not often, kind of feeling, like, overwhelmed, or is it generally a positive experience? Do you find it being hard ever? Cooking,
1: I feel like, has always been or at least has become my safe place like that, no matter how crappy the day is going or how sad I'm feeling like my husband and I own our own business and business is super tough right now. And no matter how bad the day is, like I'll come home and be like, I'm whipping out the Bon Appetit. I'm making yeah. that crazy looking thing in that magazine. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I can do that. You yeah. know, like no matter how insurmountable things may feel, I can do Handle a recipe. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and you're telling us that that connection to food was in from your childhood. Definitely. That you felt that joy and love in food. Right. Right. From being a little girl. Well, being yeah. Being kind
2: to yourself, too. Right? right. Like, doing that is being really kind to yourself. That's a means of, like, self-care. Yes. And I think that, I mean, I'm just, it's is conjecture. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, when a really traumatic experience happens, and especially if you're young, you know, you probably spend... I, have you spent time being kind of mean, not so nice to yourself or not forgiving to yourself? Or oh that, sure. I'm super yeah.
1: hard on myself. Yeah. yeah. I never, I never feel like I'm quite measuring up to where yeah. I should, should yeah. you know, quote unquote should be. Well,
2: that kind of brings me to my next question because I know you as someone who is just so together and like, you know, appearance wise and the way you speak and the way you carry yourself and you're cool and you're fun, but you're also like so a really nice. professional woman and you're just, you're, i you know, I think you're great. And I was wondering. Thanks, Sarah. I know I, do. I should hang out with you guys more <laughs> often. Yeah, come back next week. Please do.
1: Um,
2: but I was I was wondering, and if you if you could tell your 13 year old self who was scared, oh, and such a good question, freaked out, and like not, if you could just like like grab her and be like, hey, here's a piece of advice. Like here, just you know, what would it? Do you have something that you would say?
1: I think just uh, to say you are going to get on the other side of this. Like, it's not always going to feel so desperate and so scary and so awful. And there is a future for you that holds moments of light and brightness. And while this will always be with you and you will always Mm -hmm. be marked by this experience, like, there's no escaping that. And in a way you learn that you don't want to because it becomes an important part of who you are and makes you a more empathetic person, a more kind person in a way, because you realize that on the outside, somebody may look super great and together, but you have no idea what's going on on the inside and how hard things may be. Maybe their dog just died. Like you just yeah. really don't know. Mm-hmm. And, but that there is a path and it involves Other people, and I'm saying this as much to myself as to anyone else because I'm still guilty of sometimes just thinking I can power through things on my own. But it's super important to surround yourself with friends and family and to form bonds with people that make life worth living and people that you want to cook for. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah,
2: and you know, obviously, we're huge proponents of mental health here and the whole mental health community. And, you know, I think it's really admirable of your family at that young age and, and a time that, I mean, now I think mental health is, you know, more prevalent than other, Thank ever.
1: God. People but are... still, it's still a hard thing to get people, you know, to convince people that this is necessary. Yeah. I mean, when our neighbors in Brooklyn lost a child while we were neighbors. And that was just a horrible thing to witness, a family lose a, long, a young child and I kept saying to them, like, I will help you find someone. I will find a priest, a counselor, anyone. Yeah. And yeah. they really just felt like this was something they could get through together as a family. Yeah. And I'm like,
3: Yeah,
1: trust me on this one. You just need
3: mm-hmm. help. Like Absolutely. you there's
1: some things are bigger than you are and this is one of those things.
3: And sometimes they just need time. It can True. be a year later, it can be two years later. True. Yeah. You know, it can often be like you said 20 years later, right? right? Is that when you had your son about 20 years later or something? Yeah,
1: cool? yeah. Something yeah. like
3: that? Yeah. Or less. But um, so it can, at any time, it can happen. Because sometimes right. we need to protect ourselves and it's just too much to face. Yeah. So for those of you out there listening... Sometimes you can't do it within a month or two months totally. or three months or a year.
2: Absolutely. But I i mean, it's funny because in my business, I work as a restaurant consultant, right? And and I always kind of talk to people when I'm trying to either pitch them on hiring me. Um, I talk about it as like, you know, third-party objectivity, right? And it's essentially what therapy is. I mean, it's very even if you're a smart person, you're emotionally intelligent, you have depth, you have people, friends and family around you, or in the restaurant sense, you have great managers or great bartenders or whatever. Even if you have your close knit team, the having a stranger who's qualified come in, who cares, but also isn't personally involved. Totally.
3: Perspective, they can offer perspective. Yeah.
2: Perspective, yeah. totally. And also, they have the freedom to say things to you. Now, go, circling back to what we we're talking about in the beginning, mm-hmm. with folks like being really uncomfortable about what to say, and you feeling like man, you have to manage what happens to them if they say the wrong thing. Like none of that exists with therapy, uh, you know, right. or seeing a, psych- a psychiatrist. You don't have to a take therapist. care of the therapist. You don't have to take right. care of the therapist. Right. And if you try to, a good therapist will tell you to stop. You know, mm-hmm. I so. Just in advocating for mental health, um, you know, seeking treatment for your mental health like, and seeing a bereavement specialist or seeing a psychiatrist. If you're feeling like you can't get over it and get through it because you never get over it. Wrong choice of words. But if you can't get through it on your own, no, like you said, no one can You really need help. And, and right. it's, you know, just don't I be afraid emph- to ask. I want
3: to emphasize the the aspect that I mentioned before by chemistry, mm-hmm. because, you know, we think about a psychiatrist and, oh, there must be something really wrong with me that I need a psychiatrist. When we have trauma, and gr- and grief often can turn into trauma as well, um, it affects our chemistry. Mm-hmm. And there, yeah. you really need help with your chemistry sometimes. It's right. just the way it is. Totally. It's not a failure. It's just a reality.
2: Yeah. And it changes, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I know um, when I lost my dad, like, it'll just be, like, like I was prepared for it differently opposite from you I was yes. prepared my dad had been sick for 10 years mm-hmm. like I knew that he was gonna die but it, what I wasn't prepared for was exactly what you were saying before was the time when you realize that they're not coming back right. and those triggers when like something like the other day talking about Christmas I hadn't even thought about my dad this holiday season and then I heard um, that John and Yoko saw this Is Christmas <laughs> yes. and um, I just it was so sad them saying like I love
1: you John I love
2: you Yoko and it was sad my dad loved the Beatles and all of a sudden I was Crying, I was inconsolable. It will hit you
1: in unexpected ways. I was inconsolable, and that yeah. I think, like the the finality of anything is just a really hard thing to wrap your mind around because we don't see the other side. So just to know, or if there is one, so yeah. just knowing that something is the end. And I mean, I, I I remember shortly after my parents died, my mom used to make for Christmas gifts for Aww. her friends every year and jar it and I remember thinking I'm gonna do that I'm gonna do that for my friends and I couldn't find the recipe anywhere it wasn't in the box and I fe- it had this just irrational flash of like oh I'll just pick up the phone and I'm like
3: oh yeah. but I
1: can't mm-hmm. do that yeah but it actually turned out very sweetly that I mentioned it to one of her good girlfriends and like all of her her friend group really rallied and like oh. sent me like twenty fudge oh. recipes, none of which that's were quite wonderful. right. But it was very sweet that they oh, tried no. to fix my fudge problem. <laughs> that's, that's people,
0: really help, fudge yeah,
1: people really want to help. Your fudge longing, yeah, beautiful. Really want to help, yeah.
2: Um, well, we're we're almost out of time here in processing. But I, I mean, we like to ask people. Um, if you could make something for your young thirteen-year-old self, if you could, you know, do something that would be comforting and bring yourself a bowl of something, what would it be?
1: Well, I feel like we've already said it. I wish I had something more no, interesting it's... to say, but definitely like spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah.
3: And happy birthday to your dad.
1: Oh, happy that's birthday so to your dad. Nice. Yeah. Happy birthday, Papa Jim. <laughs> yeah. well, this was a really
2: special episode and. I personally, and I think we sh- would share the sentiment. just want to thank you so much. Because thank you
1: both. I think it's great that you're doing this thank in you. any way that we can kind of help break down the stigma of mental health and mm-hmm. self-care. It's yeah. really important for everyone. Yeah.
3: And speak about our humanity. Right. right. And share it together.
1: Totally.
2: Right. And, you know, I just am really floored each time somebody comes on, particularly now, about, about the bravery, you yes. know, because we do live in a death-denying culture still. Right. And it is opening up a little bit, but... Um, it takes people like yourself being, like, brave enough to be like, I'm going to spend my evening instead of with my family or my mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to come to Bushwick <laughs> and talk about this really traumatic experience with, like, you know, who knows how many people. Um, and You made it very painless. painless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's special, and you're doing yes. everyone a really great service and helping to kind of be disarm the fear around grief and Mm -hmm. about trauma because we will all experience it and the more that we can I think find commonality in that and like be a community like a global community of people that you know I think just to kind of go off on a small tangent we obviously live in like a crazy time you know it's a cliche to say that we are a divided country like um, but when you you know I was talking to someone about politics recently and I was talking about how and you know it's very clear that you know, Bobby and I are obviously very liberal people, oh, um, sign me and, up. and you as well. I I'm a speak. woman's marcher. Cool, I didn't want to speak for you, but I know this about you. Um, and but when, if you, God forbid, you know, your house was to go on fire, um, the firemen would just come. And you would be really, really excited to have them there and really grateful and happy. And then maybe the neighbors would come and they would be outside and, and trying to help. And um, everyone stops thinking about that for a minute, you know? And like, I think if we can apply that kind of same feeling, just neighborly, not
3: to say that it's about our humanity. Right. I mean I, think,
2: I mean, I think, exactly. And I think in talking about these stories, mm-hmm. it is about like collectively remembering that we're all humans, right? And there's yes. some humans that have some really outrageous beliefs that are difficult. but you know, at the, at the core, like my therapist said, most people are good. And I think when the more we can kind of understand that about each other, the better off we like all are.
3: And I would like to add one other thing, which is that those of you, you can't see Laura, but she is a woman of beautiful spirit and you can see it in her face yeah. and it shines right through. And For what sure. a resilient Thank survivor you. you are. It's yeah. such a pleasure so to have much. you here yeah, today. Thank you, so <laughs> Thank
2: you so much. Thank you so much. So we hope that you enjoyed that very special episode with our friend Laura. Um, A couple things that I wanted to mention, the takeaways from Laura's episode. The big one was that Laura is from Mississippi, which is a state that I don't, I've never
3: been to. Have you ever been? I have never been or driven through or even know what shape it is. There's
2: a lot of the country that unfortunately Mm. I haven't gotten an opportunity to visit yet, but I'm really excited to kind of change that hopefully this year. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to just tell you and our listeners a couple of things that I researched about Mississippi today Mm. that um, I'm really happy to know. Now, first of all, I want to mention that as we were beginning this interview, we uh, bumped into the new editor-in-chief of Savore magazine, Sarah Gray Miller, and Laura and her realized at the same, uh, through chit-chatting briefly that they're both from Mississippi. And they both independently had brought up this cookbook, Being Dead is No Excuse, The Official Southern Lady's Guide to Hosting a Perfect Funeral. Incredible. Which I have now ordered and I'm awaiting its arrival. <gasps> Ooh, I, can't I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to see it. It's kind of like a satirical, from like what I understand, it's like half serious, half kind of, like a, a funny look at a serious kind of way of dealing with death. And food. Um, I don't want to speculate too much because I haven't read it.
3: Do you know when it was written?
2: In, it was written in 2013. Ah, okay. The authors are Gaydon Metcalf and Charlotte Hayes. And I'm really excited to read it because two very special and wonderful women wow. uh, both recommended it in the same breath, basically.
3: We may need two copies.
2: Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I should have ordered two. Um, so Laura, again, is from Mississippi. And a couple of things that I learned today. A, the state is named after the Mississippi River. Now, I also want to mention that Mississippi is one of my. I'm not a very good speller, but I remember learning to spell. Me it Me too. School. You I do. I was thinking
3: of it when you said Mississippi. It's such before. a proud moment. M i s s i s s i p p
2: i. Yeah, it's very exciting. So it comes from the Native American word for the river, and it was it was Mississippi. M e s s i p i, which means big river. Um, blues music was born in the Mississippi Delta, uh, which is the Northwest section of the state between the Mississippi and the Yazoo rivers. Iconic blues musicians who are from Mississippi include BB King, Helen Wolf, John Lee Hooker, Mississippi, John Hurt, Lead Belly, and little Freddie King.
3: What a fertile area. I know
2: amongst others. So we really owe Mississippi a big thank you for, uh, that contribution to pop culture and music. We're very lucky for all of those people and their music. um, This was my favorite fact about Mississippi. The term teddy bear originated in Mississippi. Do you know why? No way. Okay, this is so fascinating. When President Teddy Teddy Roosevelt refused to kill a trapped bear during a hunting trip near Onward, Mississippi in 1902, a Brooklyn candy shop owner saw a political cartoon depicting Roosevelt and the bear and was inspired to create a stuffed animal that he called Teddy's Bear.
3: Wow, interesting. I know.
2: Um, Okay, a couple of foods that hail from Mississippi. Mississippi mud pie, which is a super decadent, chocolatey pie. Um, comeback.
3: Cara- caramelly, right? It's like,
2: I, I think it's just like a chocolate on chocolate on chocolate on chocolate sitch. However, we might need to get Laura Silverman back in here for a <laughs> follow-up interview to talk about the mud pie. That'd be nice. I don't have all the details. I think it is, varies in its preparation. Comeback sauce, which is kind of a spicy version of Russian dressing. Um, and golf shrimp. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now, Laura also spoke to us about spaghetti and meatballs, mm-hmm. which can we think of anything really more comforting? A twirl. Do you prefer a twirl pasta shape or a short shape like a rigatoni?
3: Um, I like spaghetti and okay. I like to slurp. Oh, yes. A
2: slurp is, mm-hmm. is crucial to the enjoyment of the whole thing. I'm also a twirl person. Spaghetti is my favorite shape. I told that to somebody the other day. They didn't believe me. <laughs> They're like, how could spaghetti be your favorite shape? I was like, I think everyone thinks when you're a chef that you're going to like the most wild and extravagant and crazy thing. I'm like, right. it's the opposite, really, right? Wouldn't you agree when you're a chef, you actually like the most simple thing? Yes. Hence spaghetti. So spaghetti and meatballs, uh, as, as some of us know, spaghetti and meatballs is not an Italian thing. In fact, I've spent a great deal of time in Italy. Uh, most recently this year, I spent a couple months there. I'm going back soon working on a project. The Italians that I know couldn't turn their nose up more. At spaghetti meatballs, wow. they they find it to be honestly offensive, oh. and they would never try it. Uh, to which I am like, listen, it's just another food that's delicious. You know what I mean? Like right. we understand it's not Italian. That doesn't mean you can't eat it. Right? They do not care for it. Oh, interesting. Um, so it kind of originated because in between like 1880 and 1920, about four million Italians immigrated to America, mostly from Southern Italy. And uh, while things were really tough in Italy at the time, not that they were, you know, necessarily so much better in America. But they did have more money to spend on food, so people started to use incorporate meat more and kind of use more like abundance in the portion size. Um, so that's why I think when you, if you go to Italy, you see that things are definitely a little bit smaller, especially with pasta courses. They call it premi; it's usually eaten as kind of an appetizer. Right. But here, uh, the abudanza <laughs> kind of uh, materialized into people eating really large portions and eating right. spaghetti with meatballs. And spaghetti was the only shape that was available. But in Italy, they do have meatballs. They're called popette. But not with spaghetti ever.
3: Oh. Huh. Wow. Yeah. I like the image of Lady and Tramp. Lady, Lady and, and the Tramp. Tramp. Right. Yeah. When they were eating spaghetti together. Yes, that's, that's adorable. Beautiful. Yeah.
2: Well, you're going to love this. I brought one long strand of spaghetti for us to share today. <laughs> okay. For a <our> perfect photo op. <laughs> um, so those are some things that I wanted to just kind of mention about Laura's episode. They... You know, so so much of what she said really tugged at my heartstrings, and she had such beautiful food memories, and I just she wanted did. to. And
3: I remember her discussing uh, chicken and dumplings. I know, and it just felt so comforting, yeah. and it felt so um, supportive, and it was what helped her think yeah. of her mom. And so I can't wait to eat chicken and dumplings now. Yeah, have you made it? Oh yeah, many times. Mm.
2: I'm sure not nowhere near as good as an mm. authentic Southerner can make it, but I've, I've done my best
3: to try, you know. She said she would send us the recipe. I hope she does. I hope so, too. Yeah, that was really,
2: really special. Laura, thank you so much. Um, it was our great pleasure and honor to speak with you. And we will see you guys all next week on Processing. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.